This morning, um, I want to read a passage from Philippians, the second chapter, beginning in verse 12 and reading through verse 15. And uh, it's a very important but not often preached on passage that I hope will get us ready for the season of Thanksgiving and the, the and the season of Advent. And it is Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12 through verse 15. And I'll read that in just a moment. Right now, I invite you, if you're able, to stand as God's Word comes among us and as I share this from Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring and arguing, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which you shine like stars in the world. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the spiritual practices that I carry out is that each January, I choose a verse of scripture uh, or a small brief passage of scripture that is mine for the year. I take that verse, I take that passage, and all year long I try to reflect on it, I try to memorize it, I try to study it, I try to look at it from every different angle, I try to think during the year about its many applications to my life. And this year, 2019, the year that's wrapping up, my verse for the year, my passage for the year, has been Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. I love it. Uh, I love the Apostle Paul's writings and the Philippian letter, but I love this passage because of its balance. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. I like it too because of its seeming paradox. We're to work out our salvation, but it's not a works salvation because it is God who works in us both to will and to do his pleasure. And those phrases are held in tension, and I find myself growing as I try to understand and live in that tension day by day. First of all, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, that's the call to reach the goal that God has called us toward, uh, to, to work out to completion what God has, has put in us. Uh, what is it? that we're to work out? What is it that we're to become? What is the goal? Well, the goal is the previous section of Scripture in Philippians 2. Did you notice that verse 12 of our text began, therefore, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Somebody told me one time, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to read what comes before it so you'll know what the therefore is therefore. And that's exactly right. So when Paul says, therefore, work out your own salvation, well, you need to see what the therefore refers to. And it is that beautiful hymn where Paul says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Though he was equal with God, he did not think that it was too great a price to pay. He emptied himself 
of all of that godness, took on the form of a slave and died. That's the mind we're supposed to put in us. That's the mind we're supposed to to live out, a cruciform shape of the Christian life, suffering love, learning to be unselfish. So Paul says, work this mind out in you with fear and trembling. But then the second part is, verse 13, for it's God who works in you. God works in us not only to do His work, but to make us want to do His work. Do you see that? For it's God who works in you both to will and to work His good pleasure. God works on our want-tos. I love the story about the dad who was ready to leave the house for work uh, one morning, and uh, he realized he had a teenage son at home, and uh, as the dad kissed the wife goodbye, he said, uh, tell Scott uh, he can mow the lawn today if he feels like it. And just before the dad went out the door, he turned back and said to his wife, tell Scott he better feel like it. Uh, and, and there's this beautiful dance that God does by God's grace in us, never forcing us to conform to his will externally, never imposing the ought-tos and rules on us as a way of leading us and loving us, but putting new desires in us. We want to mow the lawn. We want to do God's work. So the passage begins, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you on your desires and your actions. And guess, just take a guess, what one of the greatest hindrances to God's work in us would be. What's one of the greatest hindrances to working out our salvation and God allowing God to work in us? The hindrance is murmuring and complaining. Because right after Paul talks about this mysterious partnership, work out your own salvation, it's God who works in you. In verse 14, do all things without murmuring or arguing. Grumbling, complaining, arguing, criticizing, disputing, wrangling. I'm always convicted when I read this passage about my own spirit of complaint. And the Apostle Paul evidently was dealing with real live people just like we have real live people here. The complaining, the whining that keep us from experiencing the work of God in us and around us. I read about a man who was so negative, he went to the cafe one morning and he ordered two eggs, one scrambled and one fried. When they came back, when the, they came to him with the plate, he sent it back to the kitchen because they'd fried the wrong egg. <laughs> and you know, there are some of us, no matter what you do, no matter how great it is, you fried the wrong egg. And I just want to be blunt Isn't that complaining spirit exhausting? And doesn't it just poison the entire environment around it? And Paul knew 
that that sort of thing happened and he was writing about it. He knew that uh, a a lot of energy is wasted on the complaining. He also recognized that there is a there is a great witness at stake if we have a complaining spirit or if we have a spirit of gratitude. If you look at the passage carefully, he immediately moves from murmuring and arguing, said stay away from those things so you may be innocent and blameless, children with, of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. He was saying our, our best witness for Christ is ruined when we complain, and conversely, our best witness for Christ is achieved when we are grateful. There's something Paul says that releases our witness beautifully when we have a spirit of gratitude, and there's something that just wilts our witness around us when we're always complaining. He recognized that we live surrounded by a crooked and perverse nation, and so he says there's a witness involved in our spirit of complaining or our spirit of gratitude. In fact, he says, when we live without blemish and without spot and when we live with gratitude, we shine like stars. Now, there are a lot of things we could say about that, but the imagery is obvious in that stars provide navigational guidance. Long before GPS systems were ever uh, ever in place, Maritime uh, travel from time immemorial has, has followed the stars because the stars give guidance. And when we are that positive, grateful people, others look at us and say, I want what that person has. I want to be able to live life that way. That's something that could help me. And we guide others like stars. The other thing we know about stars is that stars shine the brightest when the night is the darkest. Now, really, they shine all the time, right? But but we understand the darkness helps them be seen. And so in the darkest hours, people are watching to see whether our spirit is one of complaining or one of gratitude. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter from prison. And throughout this letter, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. From prison. If anyone had a right to complain, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet he says, Rejoice. Learn to be grateful. Don't grumble. Because he he acknowledged the power of trusting God. Gratitude opens us up to the work of God. And gratitude gives us energy to work for God. Gratitude itself opens us up to God's work in us, but gratitude also provides fuel for us to positively serve the Lord. And both of those things happen with gratitude. So this morning on this Sunday before Thanksgiving, I have a homework assignment for us. And I did not ask your permission if you wanted one. But here's your homework assignment. Here's my homework assignment. 
It's, it's two parts. And the first is, let's begin to look at gratitude as a discipline to be practiced and not an emotion to be felt. Are you following me? Because if we wait for the emotion of gratitude, it doesn't always come. Sometimes it only comes after we practice the discipline of gratitude. In other words, we only feel grateful when we practice thanksgiving. You know, we're learning a lot from neuroscience about the Christian faith. Uh, one of the things we're learning from neuroscience is that the same principle that works uh, in throwing a baseball, if you do it often enough, you hopefully get better at it because of that muscle memory. The same principle that applies to constantly using the keyboard, making you fast and more accurate when you type things out. Neuroscience tells us that we become what we practice. If we practice grumbling and negativity, we become that. If we practice gratitude, we become grateful people. And we have to learn to see gratitude as a discipline to be practiced, not an emotion to be felt. Henry Nouwen, in one of his writings, talked about how every day, every day, we have the choice between gratitude and complaint. And he reminded us that if we live in gratitude, it will rarely happen without effort. Gratitude will rarely happen without effort. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in us to will and to work his good pleasure. And that leads me to the second part of this homework assignment. The first is to see gratitude as a discipline to be practiced, not an emotion to be felt. And the second part is a follow-up to this to do what Richard Rohr suggests in his devotional writings, and that is find a day to spend complaint-free. See if you can go one day without complaining. Thanksgiving Day would be a good day to do that, but you can do it whenever you want. And and if you feel really brave, you could, you could go to the next step, and Richard Rohr says, if you find yourself complaining, you have to, with that complaint, cancel it out with ten expressions of gratitude. Because he's saying, what happens is you take your thought life and you flip the script. Because if every time you complain, you think of ten things you're great, grateful for, you're flipping the script and you're giving your brain a new script and your heart and your mind and your spirit a new script. Or if you're criticizing someone, think of ten compliments to offset the one criticism. We flip the script on our actions and our words and our thoughts. That's a daunting homework assignment. But I think it's worth an effort to get us out of the muck and mire of constant negativity. To get us living in the land of gratitude. Some of us in the church here uh, passed around a book entitled uh, 
that the tattooist of Auschwitz, it's a true life story about the person who was in charge of tattooing new arrivals at, at Hitler's death camp in Auschwitz and Birkenau and how he miraculously survived and then he escaped uh, Lael and Gita, uh, a, ma- a man and woman, uh, fell in love. They'd both been in the prison camp, the death camp. They somehow miraculously uh, avoided the Nazis. They were able to marry post-World War II and establish a life together. And they were running a successful clothing import business until some competitors and some rivals became jealous of them and started spreading lies about them and tattling on them to the Soviets back in the Soviet Union day. And as punishment, the Soviet Union took possession of their house and deported them. And when their young son Gary arrived home from school one day, to his amazement, he saw the for sale or rent sign out in front of what he thought was their house. And he heard the story about being deported within a matter of hours, went inside, and he found his mother packing and singing. She was singing cheerfully. And when young Gary asked her how she could be singing so cheerfully, I want to read you what she said. When you've been in the death camp, not knowing if you will live or die five minutes from now, all other problems seem small. All other problems seem small. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work within us to will and to work his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and complaining and arguing. And be like children, innocent, without blemish. In a crooked and perverse world in which you shine as stars of the world. Let's pray together. I want to invite you to respond as the Spirit may direct you concerning a a spirit of gratitude. I want to invite and challenge you if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. The greatest, the most grateful act you can accomplish is to do what the psalmist said in Psalm 116, to take the cup of salvation and to drink, to receive Jesus Christ by faith. We're here at the front to pray with you if you're desiring to trust Christ as Lord and Savior or you have a prayer concern that you want to share with someone else or a church membership decision. But most of all, right where we are this morning, that we will all be open to the precious Holy Spirit. Lord God, have your way in each of us. Through Christ our Lord, amen.